Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us today, and I'd invite you to take your Bibles and find a copy, you know, something digital, maybe page 959 here in our Bibles, or hopefully the one you brought along with you. Second Thessalonians, as we continue our study in this important uh, letter of Paul to this first century church. This, uh, this passage today describes how the Apostle Paul prayed for his friends in that first century church in Thessalonica. And so if it's how Paul prayed for other Christians, it would be a really good time for us to learn how to pray for one another. And then, of course, the same things we pray for others are what we need also. So how do you pray when you pray for someone and some need? Uh, should you always pray for what's requested? Should you sometimes pray for more than what is requested? It could be your family member, a, a child, a parent, spouse, a friend, some other believer who has a real hurt, uh, a sickness, a disappointment, a need. A failure, and, uh, and you, you know you need to, to pray for them. If we are going to talk to God Almighty, I mean, that's what prayer is, right? If we're going to have a conversation with God Almighty, and if He indeed listens, and He does, to the individual child, it would be really good if we're on the same page as He is that what would be important to him would be that which is important to us. So this prayer of Paul, I think, reveals that to us today. With this in mind, we, continue, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling and that by his power, he may fulfill every purpose of yours and every act promoted or prompted rather by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the whole prayer. Now, when you, when you hear those phrases or read those, some, a prayer like that of Paul's, does it sometimes just go like, whoosh? It, it sounds like Bible speak? Because, of course, these are the kind of things you'd, you, you expect uh, Paul to, to say and, and these phrases. And how, but, but if the Holy Spirit inspired this, then each thing in this prayer is important for us to learn from. It begins with... Uh, a reference to what just came before, with this in mind, or to this end, or, or, or wherefore, you might have that word, it's pointing backwards, say, in light of the fact, previous paragraph, that God is going to make everything right someday, but that we're living in the in-between time, between today and when the end of this age comes and we're in heaven, before that. So, so with that in mind, how do we pray for each other living in this piece of our life? Um, what is remarkable to me is that 
he didn't pray for certain things. What's missing to me in this prayer is kind of interesting because they were going through some serious persecution and he never mentions it in his prayer. He's talked about it in the previous passage. God's going to make things right, but he didn't pray that they would have less persecution. He didn't pray that, uh, that they would even be persevering in persecution. He didn't pray uh, that they'd be marked safe in persecution. Although I'm pretty sure he prayed about those things. In fact, I, I found this week four, five different places where Paul himself prayed for deliverance from persecution. One of them is in this letter, chapter 3, verse 2. But, but deliverance from physical circumstances was not his priority. The priority of Paul in prayer has always been on their spiritual progress. Uh, if you do a study sometimes, this, this would be a healthy study, just to try to find, you could even probably Google it, but say, the prayers of Paul. Here's everything that Paul prayed. Here, here's a little sample uh, of the kind of things that Paul prayed for. If I can get this, oh, I have to go to turn it on. There we go. Sorry. Here's an example of how Paul prayed to be strengthened with spiritual power. In other words, they're internal things. That he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. There's something God's doing inside of us. Or to learn to abide in Christ so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That idea is to, that he would feel at home. We'd be so familiar with, with, with our, our walk with, with, with Christ. And then our character pray that you would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Similarly, to be sanctified. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. We're going to talk a little bit about sanctification today, but that's basically what God is doing in our life between today and the day we die or are raptured in with Christ. He is in the process of sanctification, which is, it's a word for holy, to be made more holy, to, to be more like Christ. So this is what Paul focuses his prayer life on, these things. And so this passage of this prayer, verse 11 especially, is, is just right in line with this inner prayer of what God wants to do. First of all, it says that God may count you worthy of his calling. Uh, Paul is praying, I, I, I'm, I'm praying that what God does in you would be accomplished, even more than I'm praying about the things, the circumstances around you. It's not saying God does not care about those things. He definitely does, but he cares more about our sanctification than our circumstances. In fact, he crafts our circumstances to accomplish our sanctification. It makes me think about how I pray for others because am I, am I praying just for solutions or sanctification? Because I know I can easily just pray for the suffering to stop, whatever the problem is. If I care about somebody, I, God, fix this. I can rush to that, but if we believe that God is good, and we do, and doing what is good, then we know that God is certainly answering prayers like this. That God would produce in us a sense of being worthy of his calling. Now, that's, a, that's an intimidating phrase, isn't it? To be worthy 
of his calling. A uh, number of places, one, uh, actually Nate read one of the passages about that, but First Thessalonians in the first letter, he said, urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom of glory. Studied First Corinthians, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be holy. What's our calling? Is to be holy. Ephesians 4.1, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling uh, you have received. Somehow being worthy of our calling is a big deal to God. What does it mean? I think it essentially means that we should be praying for one another, that there would be a correspondence between our life and God's purpose for our life. See, the calling in one sense is calling to salvation. And when we hear we're called to salvation, we think, oh, praise the Lord, I'm going to heaven. Because we fast forward immediately to, we hear the word calling to salvation, we think about the eternal life part of it. But what were we called to be? It was to be holy in this life. That's our calling. So he says, I'm praying for this piece of our, of our journey that, that we would, there would be a correspondence between God's desire for our life and our life itself. Because if worthy meant, are you worthy of heaven? No, 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 no. We're never going to live worthy of heaven. Um, we have to remember that God had an earthly purpose for saving us, not just a heavenly one. He didn't just call us to heaven or all we'd be there already. <laughs> he, he called us to be holy on earth. And so Paul earnestly prays for the Thessalonians to make progress in that holiness effort. So do we pray that for others? And of course, then immediately we see the mirror and say, is this how I pray for my own needs? Because I feel my own pain, hurts, disappointments, is this how I'm praying for myself? Because that would be the will of God. So the big picture is, he says, I'm praying that you would be living worthy of God's purpose for saving you. And then he says, here's two specific prayer requests. The first one seems to be internal. Then the second is external. In other words, who we become inside and what then we would do uh, with our life. Here it is. That by his power... He may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. Uh, that first line, uh, some other translations have something like this. He would fulfill your desire for goodness, your resolve for good. The idea is, seem to be, that, that God would create in you an inner goodness. So e essentially it's equivalent to, to holiness, this is, what, this is how we can pray for our sons and daughters and, and, and friends to pray about their desires. Do they desire what God desires? And if we rush so often as we do to praying about solutions and better circumstances, we might neglect praying for the most important issues. And again, the mirror says, so am I praying for God to transform my desires? I think, I think Paul was pretty confident that the Thessalonians, for the most part, wanted what God wanted. This, this, is, this, is a, this is a good church. For as young and new believers as they were, Paul has so many compliments for them in the opening words of First and Second Thessalonians about the faith and their love and, and, and their testimony, and he boasted about them. So this is not, a, this is not like th these Christians are really getting uh, you know, uh, uh, unholy and, and a terrible example 
And many of the friends and family that you pray for are already, deep inside, they want what God wants. This is, this is the prayer to pray for them. That God would fulfill their desire, would, would light a fire under that God-focused desire. So you pray things like, oh Lord, I pray that you would use this circumstance, this need, this struggle, this, this failure, this hurt, this disappointment. Please use that, Lord, to, to help them draw close to you and, and want what you want for their life and to see the bigger picture, that they would have a life worthy and, and mold and align them to your good plan for them. Things like that. By his power. The phrase, by his power, uh, for some it occurs early in the verse and some at the end. Regardless, this process of what God is doing in us and then externally t- towards others is all and only powered by him. We, that's why we pray. We pray about things that we can't do. And you cannot turn switches inside of other people, right? We've all tried, right? That's called control. <laughs> We can't do that. And so we pray that by his power, he will transform a desire. And we're like, hands off, Lord, I can't change their desires. But, but you can. And so we're, we're praying for that which is, is truly good and best, the internal work that only God can do. We know that's God's will. And think about it. For whose will do we pray? Ours or his? For 2,000 years, we've uh, had Matthew uh, account of, of Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. And, and, and we all know the words. One of the key phrases is, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? We all know that. Whose will? <laughs> Your will. And so for 2,000 years, millions of people have said those words. Did they mean it? Your will be done? Or do we only focus our prayer on my will be done? And the comparison is great where Jesus says, you've got to realize that you should want the will of God to be done on earth like it is in heaven, because in heaven, it's all God's will all the time. Right? That's what heaven's going to be. All of God's will all the time. We pray for an amazing glimpse of that here on earth. That his will is done in the life of our friend, our child, our parent, our spouse, and ourselves. Many of us here are parents of teen or adult children and we see them growing and developing and the, the path their life is on, and we, we, we care so much, we hurt so much. If they're going through hard things, we, you know, the, the, the grades, we want them to get good grades, we want them to have friends, we want them to, to, to make the starting lineup, we, you know, we want them to be successful, and we want them to, 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 to be healthy, of course, and to, to, to not have the pain, and, and to not have the relationship problems, or if they, they find their spouse, and they, all these things about growing up, we want, we want those good things, and God cares too. Will we pray more than that? Their life would be in alignment with God's purpose for their life. Nothing about being 
Nothing wrong about praying for all those other things. I mean, we go to the Psalms many times, I hope you do, when you're hurting, and you read the prayers of David. He prayed about his hurts. I mean, it was like, God, stop this. You know, do that to those people who deserve it. And, you know, he's, he's very direct. It's okay to pray about those pains and those hurts and ask God for your needs, whatever's on your heart. So, so probably every prayer that you've prayed for others... It came on the prayer chain, somebody you knew, something, some, someone is sick and, and so forth, or, or it's written on a whiteboard in the adult Bible fellowship or shared in a small group or whatever. This is not about feeling guilty about any of our prayers so far. It's about elevating our mindset about prayer that we're not, that we're really thinking, I, I'm, I want what God wants, not just what I want, not just what my friend wants. And so it gets to the core of our own desires to say, what do I want for the people I love? That they would be happy or holy. Of course we want them happy. That's just natural desire. There's someone you know and love. But do we understand that real joy, the best of life is going to come through growing in holiness and not by achieving some imaginary level of happiness. And so this passage challenges us to first of all be as prayers, prayers that which we pray for others to be. So this is how we this is how we should be praying for Christians. Now of course if you've got a friend, family member that is un, an unbeliever you're going to be praying something different, right? You're praying that, you'd be able, that they would come to faith in Christ. You're praying they would be saved. You're praying that, that they would understand the gospel. The gospel would be clear that you'd have opportunities for the gospel. Those are all God's will to pray. But that's not this prayer. This is how we pray for a believing friend or family member, uh, someone we care about. So, God has access where we do not internally. And if God begins to answer these prayers, it's going to start showing up in their life. That by his power, he would accomplish goodness, you could say, and what else? Every act, work, uh, deed you may have, every act of faith or promoted or prompted by your your faith. So what God does inside as he answers those prayers is it begins to change their life in some way. Our lives begin to be remodeled in some more obvious ways by that which we do. When we are being transformed inside, it becomes service for Christ outside. We were not designed to just grow more holy so that we're more holy. We, we were not designed to grow spiritually just so we could be strong spiritually. If, you, if, you, if, you, uh, if you're trying to be healthy, okay? You're, maybe you're working out, you're trying to get more exercise, you're trying to eat better. Why? It is to live longer or to be more healthy why? Just to be more healthy? No, it's so that you can do what you know you need to do. 
so that you can be more effective at your job, so that you can be more successful, that you can maybe provide for your family more, you can be more available to your family, you can do more with your family. In other words, the reason for health is not just so that you can work out and flex your muscles and take pictures of yourself. It's so that you can do the things that God wants you to do. And likewise, growing strong spiritually is so that we can serve God's purposes spiritually. Um, Sanctification is not complete until it becomes service. If if our view of, of, of sanctification and spiritual growth is, so I need to know the Bible real well so I understand God, and I need to deal with sin in my life, we're only halfway there. That's step one of sanctification. We need to know the Word. We need to know God better. We need to deal with issues of sin in our life. That's only the first step of sanctification. Until sanctification becomes service, sanctification is incomplete because He saved us for a purpose. Holiness is not the goal. It's a platform for serving Christ. That closes the loop of God's purpose for our life. Go, go back to the first letter briefly, just a couple of pages back probably in your Bible, 1 Thessalonians 3, and we find that Paul is very uh, complimentary that this is happening. Verse 3, we continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, same phrase as we have here, your labor prompted by love. You have the works of faith. We are so grateful that you are doing it. We don't know what the Thessalonians were doing in terms of ministry or service. They didn't have church and all the roles that we have in the same way. But I got a feeling they were sharing their faith with their unsaved family and friends in that time of persecution. I had to think of uh, the back story about how one of them, Jason, and others, it said, were forced to put up money, bond, to guarantee there'd be no more trouble because of a riot that the enemies, their, their enemies started. But they had to put up money. Who supported Jason and those people who had, had to give all that money uh, to, 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 to guarantee uh, uh, no more trouble? So, and, and boy, who was, who was doing the encouraging? They were in tough times. The ministries of encouragement. So that, you know, they're new Christians. Less than a year, almost, almost all of them, it seemed, hated, accused, lied about. There were so many ministries. So there was, first of all, going to be an inner transformation that they would want what is most important to them, that they would act on it. They would do the work of the ministry. I like to translate that work because we know what work is. Work is work. Work is effort. Work is doing hard things towards the right goals. We, we often speak of, and, and even last week we were talking about how we are not saved by works, correct? But we are called to do good works. We are saved to do good works. Uh, the first two verses we, we were sharing last week, actually, for it is by grace unmerited you have been saved from hell through faith, faith in Christ. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift. No payment, nothing, nothing you can add. It is a gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. No one's bragging in heaven. Sometimes as I share that with people, they go, what the, but where, where do works fit in? The very next verse. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared. God had them in mind and says, this is what I want you to do. 
We're talking about walking worthy, that somehow our life would correspond to God's purpose for our life. And, and that's what we're praying about. We are designed for good works, not saved, of course. Don't put the cart before the horse. But we are the work of faith, the work prompted by our faith, not prompted by guilt, because somebody always will tell you what God's will is for you and what they want you to do. But this is a work of faith that God, by his faith, by, by our faith in his grace, motivates us to do. And that's how God accomplishes his purposes on earth, is as each person begins to find where they fit. And that can change season to season. But do you know God's design for you in service? Are you, are you continuing the process of sanctification where it is, it is service in the ways God designed you to do, and, and I know many times, I, 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 of course, I think about it in the church family, and, and some things happened at this address, and many things happened many other places, but I mean, just to do a weekend service or Wednesday night ministries, there are, there are so many, uh, you know, teachers and helpers and, and organizers and, and showing up in so many ways. Um, all morning long, there, there are a lot of people who do virtually invisible things for which they're never thanked, probably, but, but if it's coffee or snacks or, or, or nursery or, or preparing the, 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 the video, the, the online, the media, the, the music, then, and, and just endless number of things, greeting, everything that has to happen for us to, to have this time of worship and focus on Christ. And, 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 but then beyond that, there are so many things that God has called us individually to do that you know the person that, that you need to meet with, you need to call, you need to encourage, you need to pray for. And then there's the gospel. And there's the gospel that is going out by your conversations with unbelievers in your circles, uh, the gospel that goes forth in the, in, in the, the, the elementary school and the, and the middle school uh, with our after-school clubs that amazingly God has provided for us to do. And, and, and so you think of all these things, it is part of your sanctification where you are engaged and you, you really need to find where are your acts of faith your works, your deeds, what has God planned for you to do? How are you going to find that? Ministry is always about people ultimately, right? So you have to know people. You don't have to be a people person or a peopley person. There are those kind that just they love to be around people, they like to be in front of people or whatever. And so, so that doesn't have to be you, but it's for people. I was thinking <clears throat> last Saturday, um, our, our sound and media people got together and there was a training. So the I don't know, was 10 dozen people or what, 10 or a dozen people or so. And <clears throat> I saw them all clustered at the back there. So I, I grabbed my, my camera and I took a picture of them. And one of them said, you realize the reason we work back there is we don't want our picture taken. <laughs> I almost showed it. But <clears throat> Every kind of ministry that God has designed, our, you have to know people because you have to know who needs what God has gifted you to do. And so that is a major part of why there are, are Bible studies and adult Bible fellowships or whatever things to go to. It's not just about what do I receive, but I will be there. I'll find out who needs me because if we're not connected to people, we will not be able to engage our gifts that God designed us to serve. And then 
It has to be all, this verse says, by his power, because if you've been in ministries of some type through the years, you know you run out of gas from time to time. So if you don't remember, it's by his power and by his gift. It just won't happen. So God is at work internally, creating that desire for goodness, holiness, and it becomes acts of service. And then Paul says, I'm going to show you how to pray for the ultimate purpose. Verse 12. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus, the name is the reputation, so that the reputation of Jesus, the Lord Jesus, may be glorified, this is a privilege, in you. And you in him. All of it is according to the grace of of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate reason is we, we, we are engaged in this process and we pray for, for our, our, our Christian friends and family that Christ would be praised. That's our ultimate privilege to participate in that. So he's teaching us, don't just pray for solutions, but for the sanctification and ultimately for Christ to be glorified. So, so, what does a prayer like that sound like? If we're only solution-based in our prayers, and you see a prayer request, this is what you pray. Dear Lord, heal Joe. You're done. That was the need, right? Joe asked for healing. You prayed, Lord, heal Joe. But we understand that what God really wants to do is to create a body of people that would be living worthy of the purpose in which God's called them and create this internal goodness and this service, then you, you begin to pray for those things. And, and Lord, you know, Joe is miserable in his pain right now and help him to learn the, and, and, and be assured that you are with him. You, you love him right through the middle of this and, and, and Lord, give him the patience and the perseverance because we don't know how long this trial will go and, and even in his pain, Lord, give him opportunities that he would serve you in some way and, oh God, if you do, heal him of this and, and, and I just pray that he would emerge with a greater desire to walk with you and serve you. D do you see how that kind of changes the way you pray? when you understand that you're not just praying for the request, but you can begin to pray for what you know is God's will for that person in some way. It's all essential prayer. The, the solution that you pray for as well as the sanctification, but never forget the ultimate purpose because that's what keeps us uh, on the same track with, with God's will. And that is that the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. Because we are praying for things that we cannot accomplish. We can't, we can't make the solution happen, nor can we make the inner work of sanctification uh, take place. So we, we pray that Christ will be glorified when he does whatever those, those answers and whatever the process, whatever the timing that it would, would take. So that he becomes the hero of the story. 
We, we love hero stories um, where, where some, somebody overcomes adversity. They, they can be war heroes, sports heroes, successful business heroes, and they do amazing things, and we rightly admire them. But in the family of God, as we pray for one another, it is God who must be admired. It is, it is Jesus Christ who is, is to be glorified. Also, all around the globe, what is happening, uh, hopefully, in, in churches that are gathering today, is that, that we, as we pray for one another, smaller groups or discovered needs, and we're praying, is that, that Christ is glorified because we are praying according to his will, not just to, for, for prosperity and health, but for the, the, the greater things as well that God might be doing through all these different things. And, and, and if you know someone who has a strong trust in God, they are the ones who have, have not just been blessed and luck out that everything is clicking for them, but rather through the difficulties they have faced, God has produced this process of sanctification. And then he gets the glory. So I, I just picture that Paul, as he prays for the Thessalonians, he said, you know, I, I know, Lord, you know how hard it is to be a Christian in Thessalonica right now and all the persecution they're taking. I pray, Lord, that you would, would, could relieve that and, and sustain them and that, that nobody really gets hurt. But then, Lord, just, I pray that the way that they persevere in this and the things they learn about the relationship with you would, would just make Christ, Lord, so unignorable that, 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 that you, would, you would get the credit and more people would realize how great you are because of this and they would be impressed with you. So that the Lord Jesus, that the name of our Lord Jesus would be glorified in you. And look at that next phrase. That's remarkable. That the Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him. You what? Glorified. We would be glorified through him how can that be? I believe what it's saying is that you would be able to bask in the glory of Christ. That you would be, because we are identified with Christ, we share in his glory when he accomplishes his will. There is a reciprocal sense of glory. The happiest people on earth are believers who are praying for and experiencing the very things that Paul prayed would happen here. This, this is that sense of privilege to have an internal walk with God and service for God, and then God gets the glory, and it just kind of showers us with that same glory. An illustration that would have worked a lot better if the Packers had won last night. So rewind, if you're a Packer fan, rewind about 24 hours and how good you felt all week about the Packers defeating uh, the Cowboys. When they won that playoff game, all the circumstances, etc., everybody associated with the Packers enjoyed it. I mean, the star players, Jordan Love, every position player that you don't even know the name of, everybody in the front office, everybody on the, on the sidelines, every fan, like you and me perhaps, enjoyed it. I did nothing to help them have this successful run. I mean, I did zip zero, but I enjoyed it because I identify with them as a team. I even use personal pronouns. We beat the Cowboys. <laughs> we lost to the 49ers. <laughs> I cannot take credit for anything God does through my prayers, but I can bask 
in the glory of it. And Christ's glory is contagious. And as I experience the, the glory of Christ in, in answered prayer about the things that matter most to him, it can, it can kind of spread onto people in my family. It can spread onto people here at the church. And, and the question to evaluate is that happening is, would the people who know what's best say that, you know, I can see that that person wants to glorify Christ by something of how they work, how they use their free time, how they treat their, their spouse. There's at least some glimmer, some rough sketch of the glory of God that I see in them. So will we pray for children, friends and family to just have solutions? Oh, we still will. We want them to be successful. We want our kids to get A's in school and, 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 and make the starting team. But will we be able to go beyond the tunnel vision of solutions and see the bigger picture to live worthy, to desire what's good, to serve Christ, to glorify Christ? Because when he accomplishes that in us, it will be, as the last phrase says, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes we assign the grace of God to just that which happens in the moment we are saved. Saved by grace. And indeed, like that's, the, that's the launch of grace. But when God does all the rest of these things in us, that's the grace of God. Because we were not just called to heaven. We were called to a process of becoming holy and being used. And so the grace of God that began at the cross, the grace of God that began when you put your faith in the cross, is the grace of God that will sustain you and that will deserve the praise when we arrive and when he has made everything right. And we can look back and see this is the work of God by his grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just realize how powerless we are to uh, accomplish spiritual things. And so we are uh, thrown upon your power by your spirit, your work, your word. And it often works through your people. We don't even understand how answered prayer works and how you decide, but we trust the way you decide because we know that you you care about the, the most important, essential things. And so as we pray for ourselves first, and then as we pray for others, Lord, give us that perspective. You know how hard it is because you know how much we hurt or suffer or are disappointed or feel the pain of something. And you care about every single hurt that we have and yet you have even a greater goal than we could ever imagine. So we trust you with that in Jesus' name. Amen.